following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. My life has been in turmoil the last two hours. Uh, I've known all day long what I was going to preach. And this afternoon, I got alone and studied and, man, just nailed it down. And I was so excited. I was going to preach my favorite message. It's on John 3.16, one verse. It's my favorite message to preach. I've never preached that message here. And uh, I was I was ready to preach that message tonight and would have loved to preach it. Would still love to preach it. And uh, Brother Tracy and I and Robbie got over here about 4.30, and we had a prayer meeting. And we kneeled down in here. I'd already been praying, and so I had my quiet time this morning, as I do every day. And But we got in here, and we prayed over every pew. We prayed over every aisle, over this platform, this pulpit, everything. And we left that prayer meeting, and my heart was stirred. And I didn't have peace about my message. And uh, I went over there and sat over there where they were getting ready to have the taco deal. And I told Brother Tracy, I said, I've got to go back to the hotel. I said, uh, I, I need to go grab uh, some other sermon notes. And so I went and grabbed some other sermon notes, and I've looked over them somewhat. I like to be better prepared. I really do. And... Uh, I've looked them over somewhat and scribbled some notes while I was sitting there in the pew tonight and everything. And I'm going to go a different direction than what I intended because I believe the Lord wants me to. Amen? I believe he wants me to. And uh, although I would have loved to preach the other message, maybe maybe he'll let me tomorrow night. I don't know. I'll just, I'll just take it a day at a time. And I try to be really sensitive about this stuff. And I try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm not, I'm not like a pastor. Most pastors are preaching a series or whatever. That's not me. I'm, I'm in a different church every week. And, uh, and I'm, I try to be sensitive to that church and that situation and to the Lord's, uh, the Lord's leading, uh, every single night. Not, not saying that pastors aren't. I know they are. But this is a little different situation when you're in evangelism, okay? Now, we made mention of this verse Sunday night and touched on it briefly, but I want us to look at it tonight. If you'd go to your Old Testament tonight, to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles 7. Okay, and you all know the famous verse, verse 14. But we're going to take it in its context, and we're going to read some of the other verses in this chapter. We'll just start with verse 1, okay? Well, uh, 14 is what I'm going to base my message off of, but we need to read some verses prior to that. Second Chronicles, the 7th chapter, and I'm going to invite you, if you would, please, to stand with me out of honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. Is this, this thing's not going to fix? Is this what we're stuck with tonight? Okay, all right, if you all can endure it, I, I'll try to. It's ringing in my, I feel like I'm in a barrel. Okay, but uh, just let's just move on, okay? Now I don't hear anything. <laughs> don't you love sound systems, amen? And it's not the people's fault. It's just it's something we have to deal with. All right, Second Chronicles 7. Let's begin with verse 1. Or if you're there, say amen. Okay. Now, it says, When Solomon had made an end of praying, 
the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Can you imagine that? And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement, and they worshipped. And they praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And when King Solomon offered a sacrifice of twenty and two thousand oxen, and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Now skip down to about verse 7. Moreover, Solomon howled the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because the brazen altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offering and the meat offering and the fat. And also at the same time, Solomon kept the feast seven days and all Israel with him and a very great congregation entering in Hamath into the river of Egypt. Look at verse 9. And in the eighth day, they made a solemn assembly for they kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. All right, skip down again. Skip down to verse 11. And thus Solomon finished... The house of the Lord, this was the first temple in Jerusalem after it was built, and the king's house and all that came to Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and his own house, and he prosperously effected. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I've heard thy prayer, and I've chosen this place to myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, look at verse 13. He said, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain." Or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence, pandemics, on and on about among my people, what do we do? If my people, which are called by my name, will, say it with me, church, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and I will heal their land, and my eyes will be open, and my ears attent unto the prayer that's made in this place. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight, and we thank you for this time together here in your presence this evening. We thank you for every song that was sung, for every prayer that has been prayed. We thank you for every person that's here. But Father, most of all tonight, we thank you for your son, Jesus who went to Calvary's cross and willingly gave up his life and died upon that cross to pay the penalty for our sins, who was buried and rose again the third day. And, Father, I thank you that through him that we can have forgiveness of sin and we can have the gift of eternal life. And, Father, I pray tonight for anyone in this building that's not saved, that's never been born again, that doesn't have assurance of heaven and eternal life, I pray the Spirit of God would convict them. I pray he would draw them. I pray they'd see their need to repent and turn to Christ, even tonight, before it's everlastingly too late. And then, Father, I pray tonight for the churches represented here. I pray for every believer 
that, Lord, we would look deep in our hearts and look at our walk with you and look at the condition of the churches in America and our nation. And, Father, that you might stir our hearts about revival. So, Father, have your way tonight. I don't know what you're going to do with this, Lord. This is not at all what I intended to go. So, Father, I pray that you would bless in a mighty way and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't have to tell you tonight, you already know this, but the greatest need in America tonight and in this world is an earth-shaking revival. Amen? We need a third great awakening. It's been over 100 years in America since we've had a revival or an awakening, if you will, and I'll explain the difference in a moment, on a national level. There have been some pockets here and there in some local churches where God has really moved and there's been some revival and been a lot of folks saved and we praise God for that, but we've not had anything happen in this nation in over 100 years like there was in the prior two centuries that would change the course and direction of this nation back to God. Amen? I don't know how much longer the Lord's going to tarry his coming. I, I, you know, he could come any time. But if he tarries it much longer, friends, we need a revival. We need awakening. Amen? Most people today in the church in America, my generation and younger, don't even have a clue what real revival is all about. Most of them have never seen it, they've never experienced it, and they've, we've lived so long without it that most don't even miss it. And friend, if you study church history, you can read all about the great awakenings that, that actually formed and birthed this nation and, 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 uh, and other parts of the world. In the Bible, you can read about various revivals that took place in the land. You say, well, what is revival, preacher? There are a lot of different definitions. A.W. Tozer said, revival is the church getting back to normal. (laughs) Amen? Bible normal. Book of Acts normal. Okay? Charles Finney said this. He said, revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. Then he went on to say, it's giving up one's, one's will to God in deep humility. That's a good definition. Amen? It's a new beginning of obedience of God. Individually speaking, for you and I as believers, revival, we experience revival when we fall in love with Jesus all over again. Amen? And we surrender to his lordship in a fresh, in a mighty way. And he has control of our lives. Friend, revival can come in many ways. It may come to an individual, as I mentioned last Sunday night, and I believe some, it did, I believe some experienced that. It may come to an entire church or a group of churches. It could break out in an entire community or a city or spread to an entire nation. And friends, I don't know about you, but my heart longs to see that happen. Amen? I want to see God move in a miraculous way. I want to see a great awakening, a third great awakening in America. I, I want to res- see revival take place. But listen, if, if an awakening is ever going to happen in our nation, first of all, revival is going to have to take place in the church. If that don't take place, there won't be any awakening. 
And if we don't have an awakening, this nation's not going to survive much longer. There's no way this nation will survive and last much longer at all if we don't have an awakening. You can pretty well write it off. Amen? Listen, it's either revival or God's judgment. That, you, you can just count on that. And so I'm praying for an awakening and have been for some time. You know, I think about Psalms 44, verse 1. The psalmist says, Lord, we've heard it with our ears, O God, and, and our fathers have told us about it, what work thou hast done in their days in the time of old. You know, I love to read about that, don't you? I love to study about those revivals. I love to read about it in, in, the, in the Bible. But quite frankly, I'm not satisfied anymore with just hearing about it. Friend, I want to see it. Amen? Amen? I want to experience it before I leave this earth. I love this nation. I love the Lord more than I love this nation, though. Amen? And, and, and this, this nation needs to turn around. And believe me, politics is not going to do it. Amen? It's going to take the hand of God. And I'm praying God would do something fresh in our own individual lives and in our churches. And again, it has to start with the church, all right? It's God's people who need revival. The world, our nation, needs evangelism. Amen? And that's the church's responsibility, by the way. To evangelize their communities, to evangelize the nation, and evangelize the world. You want to know why most of America is dying and going to hell? Most of the people in this town, in my town, are dying and going to hell? It's because the churches, it's because Christians have kept their mouth shut for too long. Amen? Evangelism is our responsibility. And so the church needs revival. Our nation needs an awakening, and an awakening, friends, an awakening will change the course and direction of a nation. And when you go back and study the first great awakening, the second great awakening, you'll see that that actually happened. So having said all of that, friends, we need to understand this. Revival is not something that can be worked up. Amen? God has to send it down. Now, I believe in having revival meetings, and it really disgusts me that churches that don't have them. We're living in the most desperate time at all, and church can't even have a revival meeting. There's something wrong with that. Amen? And we ought to be having revival meetings. But I want to tell you, I want more than just a revival meeting. I want to see revival. Amen? I want to see God move, and I want to see it affect and turn our nation. See, God has to send it. He is the agent of revival. And hear me, if he doesn't send it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to take place. But listen, I believe we as God's people, as the church, we can get aligned with God's word and get ourselves into a position that if God does decide to send it, then we'll be ready to receive it. Amen? So that's what I want to speak to you about tonight. I call this five principles of revival. Five principles of revival. What are they? All right, well, we pull them all right out of this verse, out of verse 14. First of all, there is the principle of my people. The principle of my people. Go back to verse 14. He said, if what? My people 
which are called by my name. Now, we know in context here, he was talking specifically to the nation of Israel. Amen? That's who he's specifically addressing here. But listen, that same principle that he gives them would apply to God's people today. It would apply to the church, to the bride of Christ today. The same principle. Amen? The same principle would apply. And the context of this scripture is this. We, we read it a moment ago. Solomon had just finished dedicating the temple, the first temple that was built in Jerusalem. It was a glorious time for, for the people of Israel. The Lord's presence filled the house. The people worshiped the Lord by giving sacrifices. And then they had a solemn or a sacred assembly. And then when you get to verse 13, the tone all of a sudden changes. When you get to verse 13... He's speaking about the land being under God's judgment. He's talking about their rebellion, their sin, about their idolatry. But in verse 14, God gives the remedy. He gives a solution. He gives the way out. And that's what I call, that's why I call this the principles of revival. And the first step is this, the principle of my people. Amen? My people. He said, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves. Again, it's got to start with God's people. You say, well, uh, preacher, what about all those uh, uh, wicked abortionists out there in the nation? And that is wicked. What about the homosexual agenda and all the garbage that's going on in our nation that's so wicked and so evil and so against the word of God? Those are terrible things, but that's the result of a godless nation. Amen? But that's not the problem. You say, man, if they would just get right, well, they need to be saved. Amen? And that's where you and I come in. But listen, if we're going to have revival, where's it got to start? It's got to start here. If you want to see revival in Morgan City, it's got to start here. Amen? It's got to start with us. It's got to start in our own hearts. And it's got to start with the church. So he's speaking to God's people. Listen, the church in America today, and I preach about 40 different churches a year. I've been doing this for 14 years. I was a pastor for 22 years before God called me out of that and put me into full-time evangelism. So I've been doing this for a little while. But listen to me, churches for the most part in America today, friends, they are so indifferent and they are so lukewarm and so self-satisfied and so worldly that you can't even tell the church apart from the world. Amen? And, and friend, until we see that and until we admit that, then revival's not going to happen. Hey, some of our churches today, man, they're more concerned about pleasing the worldly crowd than they are reaching a lost society. Hello? <laughs> Listen, churches need to get out of the entertainment business. I, most of them ought to have on their sign, give me that showtime religion, because that's all it is. Amen? And they're following every trend and every fad and every gimmick that somebody at the office comes up with in order to draw a crowd. And friends, the power and presence of God has left. And sadly, most people in our churches don't even know it. And they're satisfied with it the way things are. Vance Habner, I quoted him the other night. He said this one time. He said, Sunday morning Christianity is the greatest hindrance to revival there is. Sunday morning Christianity 
is the greatest hindrance to revival there is. So the first principle of revival is what? It's the principle of my people. So I'll start with us, right? We need to take a close look at our hearts. It's got to start with the church of God. Secondly, there's the principle of humility. Go back to verse 14, if you would. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, well, what's that word, church? Humble themselves. Oh, man. That is God's people, us. Got to humble ourselves. And friend, they'll never, they'll never be revival on any level, personal or corporate or national until we humble ourselves, until there's real humility. James chapter four, I think it's about verse 10 says, humble yourself in the sight of God and he will lift you up. Amen. And to humble ourselves means, means to think less of ourselves. I read a book the other day where he says, no, it doesn't mean that. It means you don't think of yourself at all. <laughs> Amen. Just get yourself out of the picture. And so there's got to be a humility. And you know what usually comes with humility? Brokenness. Boy, the Bible talks a lot about that, Psalms 51. God, God, he said, God said he's not pleased with sacrifice. He said he want, he wants a contrite and a broken heart, a humble heart. Amen. And that's the pathway to Revival. So there's got to be humility. And friends, we live in a very proud, arrogant generation, don't we? I've never seen anything like it. It's get wor- it's get worse every day, every hour, particularly in this nation. And friend, listen, we, we got more stuff than any generation before us ever had. We become so self-efficient. We think we've got it all together. But I'll tell you what we don't have. That is the power of God on our lives and on our churches. If we're going to have revival, we're going to have to humble ourselves. You see, the reason we don't have revival is so many believers just think we're not that bad. We're not that bad. And again, we haven't had it for so long, so we don't miss it. And a lot of people don't even know what it is, and so they don't long for it. And we're not desperate for God to work in a fresh and mighty way in our lives. It takes humility. It takes brokenness, doesn't it? Friend, when's the last time you got on your face before God in humility and over your sins and brokenness over your sins and over your lukewarmness and self-satisfaction? And when's the last time you just poured yourself out before God and confessed every sin that you could think of and asked God to fill your life afresh with his presence and set your heart ablaze for him? That's what it's going to take. Amen? Principle of my people, the principle of humility. But thirdly, it's a big one here now, the principle of prayer. We all know that already. The principle of prayer. Look, look back at verse 14. If they'll humble themselves and what this, what's it say, church? And pray. Seek my face goes with that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about that separately. So the principle of prayer. Now, listen, he's not talking about just saying prayers. All right? but really praying. Amen? Really praying. And friends, we, we've, we've seen God stirring here this week, and I thank God for it, Brother Tracy. We last night and Sunday night, and God's up to something in this church, and he's moving. But I want to tell you, today, for the most part in most churches, the altars are barren in our churches. Most people don't think, they, they don't think it's for them anyway. Amen? And they're barren. 
And, and if anyone does come to the altar to pray during the invitation, for, for some people, it, you know, they might be down there 30 seconds and kind of tip their hat to God and, and get back to their seat. I want to tell you, that's just old dead religion. That's just ritual. God could care less about it. Amen? But when God's people are truly broken, we come down, we don't care how long it takes. And we lay before God. And so he's talking about prayer here. And prayer is talking about getting hold of God. I mean staying in until the answer comes. I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of you have ever been in an all-night prayer meeting. I've been in two. And I'm ashamed to admit that, too. I've been saved since 1983. I've been in full-time ministry since 1987. And, and I, I have a prayer life, believe me. That first part of my day every morning, that's my, that's my, I guard that. I don't let anything interrupt it. That, that's very, very important to me. But I'm still not where I ought to be. Amen? But, but how many have been to all night prayer meeting? Hey, hey, listen, we sing, remember that old hymn, Robbie, Sweet Hour of Prayer? We quit singing that in our Baptist churches because we lie to God when we sing it. Most Baptists have never prayed an hour in their life. Amen? That ought, that ought to be simple. Never done it. Most have never done it. And friends, we need God and we need His presence on our lives and in our church services. And it won't happen until God's people get serious about prayer. Are you praying for revival in your own life? Are you praying for your next door neighbor to get saved? Are you praying for your kids and grandkids to get saved? Are you praying for an awakening in our nation? Are you praying for an awakening in your town? And God's people have got to get serious about prayer. None of these things will happen until we get serious about that. Do you want revival to break out in this church and in this community? Then, friends, we've got to get serious about prayer. The, the church prayer meetings in most churches are the most neglected thing a church does all week long, if they even have one. And, friends, listen, when God's people get right, Prayer meeting be the most exciting event of the whole week. Amen? Most, it, I mean, you won't be able to wait uh, uh, to get there. And, and uh, prayer meetings in the church have got to happen. And friends, when a church is serious about prayer, listen, they'll experience the glory and presence of God. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's, it's not the outside world that's keeping us from having revival, friends. It's the people of God who will not humble themselves and pray. You say, man, I sure don't like the way the world's acting. Well, I don't either. I'm with you on that. I don't like it either. But you know why lost people act the way they do? Because they're lost. Amen? Because they're lost. That's why. Just need the gospel. They need Jesus. And so we see the principle of God's people, the principle of humility. We see the principle of prayer. And then notice what else he says in that same verse. And what? Seek my face. Now, this goes along. This connects with prayer, of course. But what does this mean? Uh, I remember studying this uh, a long time ago. And it means to seek God's presence is what it means, to seek his face, seek his presence. Friends, it's not revival, really, that we seek. It's God's presence that we seek. Amen? Man, that happens. We'll have revival. 
When, listen, when God shows up on the scene, there's revival. <laughs> Friend, do you ever just set aside some time just to seek his face? There, there's another old hymn, Brother Rob, it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Friend, that's what I want, don't you? I want to see him and experience him in his fullness and in his glory. But we've got to seek his face. We've got to seek his presence. But let me give you another one. We're about, we're about through here. The principle of repentance. You say, where do you get that one, preacher? Well, let's finish up the verse. Look what he says. And what? What's that next word? Turn. That means to repent. Turn from their wicked ways. Who's he talking to? God's people. Turn from their wicked ways. He said, I'll forgive their sin. And he will. God is abundant of mercy and grace. And I thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin, not just some sin. Amen? All sin, not just some sin. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been tonight, if you'll come to the cross, if you'll come to Christ, you can find forgiveness of your sins forever. Amen? He says, I'll hear from heaven, and I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. Wow. Turn from their wicked ways, repentance. You see, until we learn Friend, as, as a Christian, that we, we need to confess our sins, repent of our sins. We'll never experience revival personally, right? We, we, need to, we need to keep our sins confessed up to date. We need to keep our hearts clean. And, uh, you know, when you get in a good, a good revival meeting, I, I explain it this way, Brother Tracy. It's kind of like peeling an onion, you start peeling an onion, you get one layer off, and you think, man, that's that's great. You go into a revival meeting, God speaks to your heart through one message, and you walk out of there, and man, you're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Amen? Man, you're excited, you're on fire for God, and then you come back the next night, and there's a, and some, God speaks to your heart about something else. Well, that's peeling back those layers, right? It's peeling back the layers. And that's what we want. And friend, we ought to, listen, we ought to be ashamed over our sin. We ought to be ashamed over our apathy. And, and we ought to weep over our disloyalty to the Lordship of Christ. And we ought to repent over our lack of concern for lost souls. We ought to repent over that. We ought to repent over our lack of commitment to the local church. Amen? We, we ought to repent over our sin of disobedience to the word of God and our unfaithfulness to God and our lack of worship and our disloyalty to him. We need to repent. And revival will come, friends, when we confess our sins. Revival will come when we're broken about our sins and we have a repentant heart. Amen? We allow things in our life we shouldn't allow. And we got an old fleshly body. And that's why we need to examine our hearts every single day. And that's why we need meetings like this too. Amen? And, and that's why you need to be under the word every week, every Sunday in your church and, and, and allow God to speak to you. That's why you need to read your Bible every single day of your life, every single day of your life. 
That's why you need to have a prayer life. Now, I'm not talking about reading some little written prayer and repeating some prayer with, uh, with, with uh, uh, a religious ritual. I'm talking about praying to God. Amen? And seeking God's face. There ought to be heartfelt grief over our sins. And that's why God said, if my people will turn from their wicked ways. <laughs> you don't hear much preaching on repentance anymore. Listen, I believe a lost person's got to repent to be saved. I've been preaching that all week. Had I preached John 3.16 tonight as I had planned on, believe me, I would have talked about repentance. Because you can't be saved if you're not willing to repent and turn from your sins and turn to Christ. Amen. But believers got to repent too. We've got to repent too of the things going on in our life. And there's not much preaching on repentance anymore in a lot of churches because it's too negative and people can't handle it. And we're living in a day and time we don't call sin, sin anymore. But there can't be revival unless God's people repent. I love the book of Hosea. Oh, man. You talk about a book about revival. And, and I think it's chapter 10, verse 12. He says, break up the foul ground. You all know what fallow ground is. That's old farm ground that one that hadn't been turned over in a while. And it's, it's just old. It's, it's hard and right. You can't plan anything. You can't do anything with it. it it's got to be broken up before it can become productive again. And you know what? If we're not careful, sometimes our old hearts get like that, don't they? Like that old fallow ground. Probably not intentionally. Again, we just drift into it. As I said Sunday night, I don't think any believer gets up one morning and says, you know what, I think I'm going to become a lukewarm Christian today. I think I'm going to backslide, I'm going to get out of God's uh, uh, will and get out of fellowship with God, and I'm just going to coast along in the Christian life. And I don't think any Christian does that intentionally, but what happens over a course of a time, we drift. We let our guard down. We quit reading our Bible like we ought to. Amen? Whatever. And on and on we could go. And by the way, you could still do all that stuff and still not be right with God. Amen? And so we got to repent. The only way back to God is a repentant heart. There's got to be a turning from sin. There's not a, it's not enough just to confess it. That's the starting point. Absolutely. Somebody come down the altar one time in a revival meeting and and just stayed there a while and the preacher walked up and said uh, well what's wrong and the woman said well you said we need to come here and confess our sins she said I can't think of any to confess well the pastor knew the nature of this lady and he said just guess at it you'll get it right amen <laughs> we probably just guess at it but can you imagine Friends, when you truly repent, you walk up, you get up and you walk in a new direction. There's a bounce in your step. Huh? Man, the joy of the Lord fills your heart. Huh? Again, you can have revival where anybody else does or not. But can you imagine if a whole a big group got revived if this if this whole church right here tonight experienced revival some of you won't because you don't want to come on get honest you don't want it it's gonna it might change something amen 
Might have to make a correction in the bulletin next Sunday. God help us. Huh? Some don't want it. Some are afraid of it. Because they don't know what it is. They've never experienced it. Amen? But can you imagine if revival broke out in this church or the other churches represented here tonight? I mean real revival broke out. There would be people coming here just to see what in the world is going on. And if it, if it breaks out, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spread out in the community. You know why? Because believe, Christians, you, hey, you won't have to tell Christians, you need to be a soul winner. You need to be a witness. No, when you're right with God, you automatically do that. Amen? That's a natural result. You want to tell other people about Christ. And we had a class here Sunday to teach people how to, and, and we do need to learn. We need train things to help us. Well, friend, we just, you know what we need to do now? We need to do it. We need to do it. And so can you imagine what would happen? Revival hit here. Revival hit over there. Revival hit over there. Next thing you know, people are saying, man, what's going on down there in Louisiana? What's going on down there? Something, something going on. And you say, man, I, I don't know what it is. All I can tell you is, is God is showing up. Amen? And that's revival. And fan, friends, that can bleed into a society, penetrate a society, penetrate a town, penetrate a city, and even spread across a nation. It's happened before. It's happened before. And it could happen again. Amen? You see the very last part of that verse? He said, if we'll do that, he said, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. How many of you tonight think our land needs healing? Unlike ever in history. We're the worst shape we've ever been in. Our land needs healing. Another election's not going to fix it. It's too far gone for that. It's going to take God. Amen? Are we going to believe his word? Are we going to believe it? The principle of my people? Right? The principle of humility, the principle of prayer, the principle of seeking God's face, and the principle of repentance. I had some other notes here because I knew I wouldn't be able to remember all of this that I grabbed and jotted down. And it's just going to prolong my message. <clears throat> but I want, I want to give you this in closing tonight because I, I, I want to kind of, I want you to understand what has happened in this nation over the years as far as awakenings are concerned and revivals. After every great test or attempt to take away the liberty that's been ours since our founding of a nation, of a free, of a free nation, we've been spared by a great awakening. Did you know that? We have. By a revival. Before the Declaration of Independence was ever signed... There was the Revolutionary War, which secured the colonies and marked the founding of the new nation. Then this awakening came, which we now know as the first great awakening.
as a result of the awakening came the birth of a nation you and I live in and that we love, the United States of America. God brought some men unto the scene during that time, like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley, and others to point and steer the people to God. And as a result of that, in 1776, our nation was founded. It was founded off of an awakening. Then, beginning in the 1790s, extending into the 1800s, came another awakening. That, if you, you, that's known as the Second Great Awakening. Revival broke out in many churches in America, and it spread across the land. That's what we've been talking about tonight. And several very significant revivals broke out during that time that we don't have time to get into, such as in New York City. Can you imagine in New York City revival breaking out? But it did because one guy got a burden. The churches were in such sad shape, and the nation was about to had about to collapse financially, and he got a burden to have a, a noonday prayer meeting that started with just him, and that thing grew to having thousands of people meeting. And as a result of that, awakening came, and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people were saved practically overnight and brought into the kingdom. Then there was there were revival in rural areas of Kentucky where thousands were being converted on a daily basis. And on the tail of that awakening came the Civil War, 1861-63, which as terrible as it was for both the North and the South, it did bring an end to slavery. But during that time, God raised up men like D.L. Moody, great, great evangelist, with his preaching to mass crowds, with numerous people being converted every time he preached. And while this was happening in America, revival was spreading to other countries as the world as well. And then in the early 1900s came World War I, then World War II. And, and these wars actually saved our nation from England and Nazi Germany and Hitler. Then after that, America entered the very prosperous years. And God raised up an evangelist named Billy Sunday. He raised up another evangelist named Mordecai Ham. And Billy Graham got saved under the preaching of Mordecai Ham. And then he raised up Billy Graham, I believe the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. And he raised up these men to stir the nation back to God. Then came the Korean War. Then came Vietnam, Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Then 9-11 came. When America came under attack by extremists destroying the Twin Towers in New York City, then fast forward all the way up, if you would, to the year 2020. And the China virus hit. Practically shutting down all facets of society which had an agenda, I believe, to take away America's freedom and lead us into a socialistic government, which is where we're at right now and where we're headed. Amen? Amen. This is not a political message. This is a biblical message. But I want to, if it bothers you, I said something politically, you just need to come on down here and repent. <laughs> and that's the problem. we got too many sissies in our pulpits who won't address politics. Amen? I want to tell you something. If the politics go crossway with the word of God, we need some men with backbones who say, I don't care if you fire me, I'm going to address it because this is what the word of God says. Amen?
We've been silent too long from our pulpits. But the point is, is this. This has been building for a long time, hadn't it? And America's in great turmoil. Bottom line is the enemy wants to destroy our nation. He wants to destroy it. He wants to take away our freedoms. What is the solution? An awakening. Amen? Revival in the church and a great awakening in the nation. I don't know. As I said earlier, I don't know how much longer the Lord's going to tarry his coming. I believe he's coming. And and that may be the next thing on the agenda. Amen? Maybe. Maybe not. He's going to come. We just don't know when. But maybe God would send an awakening. I don't know. But I know this. It's time for the churches in America to get serious about seeking God again. We need revival unlike ever before let's bow our heads and close our eyes I know I've gone a long time tonight much longer than I would had if I'd preached my John 316 message believe me I had a few notes scribbled up here but a lot of this is off the cuff and I don't like that because I I don't have any idea how long I'm going to go or where I'm going to go with it when I preach that way but you know what? You all have been so good to listen. I want to make a couple appeals tonight. And, and we're going to open these altars here up at the end. And do we want revival? I think we know what we're going to need to do tonight. And I want to make an appeal, a salvation appeal, and then I'm going to make an appeal to believers. But listen to me. You don't have to wait for that appeal. You say, man, I, I want to start with me. We need re- How many of you would say tonight, we need revival. Say, I need revival. Would you just put up your hand? Who's going to put up their hand? I need revival. Okay, some of you don't, I guess. Wow. I need revival. How many of you say, I want revival? Amen. Amen. Me too. I join with you. Well, you can start coming anytime you want. These altars are going to be open. These front pews are altars. But I want to make an appeal right now. How many of you here tonight? I want you to think about this. This is the most important thing at hand. That's the salvation of somebody. So I'm an evangelist, and 90% of the messages I preach are simple salvation messages. That's my heart. That's what God's called me and gifted me to do. But he, he led me in another direction tonight, not where I intended to go. How many of you here tonight would say I'm saved and you, and you didn't get saved from some accident or some tragedy. You're spiritually, you got born again. And your life's been saved by Jesus. You've been born again. Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. You can go back to the time and place when you got saved even. And your life's been changed as a result of that encounter with Jesus. If you could say that tonight, would you point a hand toward heaven and just thank God for your salvation? And if not, don't put your hand up. But if you know, then the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. God bless you. You can put put your hands down. Isn't it great to be saved? You can put your hands down. God bless you. It's great to be saved, and it's even better to know that you're saved, isn't it? Hey, if you couldn't put a hand up tonight and say, I'm saved, and I know I'm saved, I want to ask you a question. 
Don't you want to be saved? Don't you want to be saved? Listen, God loves you. And he gave Christ, his son, to suffer and bleed and die on a cross in order for you to be saved. You say, preacher, what I have to do to be saved? And see, you need to be saved because if you're not saved, you're not a Christian. I don't care. I don't care if you're the best person in town. If you're not saved, you're not a Christian. I don't care if you was baptized as an infant and went through confirmation class, which none of that junk's in the Bible, by the way. I don't care how many good deeds you do or how good your family is or how much money you've given to the church. And if you haven't been saved, you're not a Christian. If you haven't been born again, you're not on your way to heaven. Your sins are not forgiven. God's not your heavenly father. You're not one of his children. And right now you're under his wrath and judgment. All it'd take is for your heart to quit beating and you'd be in hell in a matter of seconds. But I've got some good news for you. God loves you and he sent Jesus to die for you. You say, what do I got to do, preacher, to receive him? I'm going to tell you what you got to do. Give me two minutes. The first step is simply to admit, God, I'm not saved. Nobody's ever been saved that didn't first admit that they weren't. Nobody. That's the first step. Admit, God, I'm not saved. I was saved back in February of 1983. That was my spiritual birthday. Just admit, God, I'm not saved. I need Jesus. That's the first step. Secondly, be willing to turn. The Bible calls this repentance. We've talked about a lot tonight. Turn from yourself, turn from your sins, and turn to Christ. Repentance is a change of mind about your sin, about yourself, and about God. That's what even a child can repent. Would you be willing to repent tonight? Thirdly, you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me, this is where most of the people in our world, and particularly in America, are messed up. You go out and ask anybody, you believe in Jesus? They're all going to tell you yes, but the vast majority of them are not saved. Because they don't have the belief the Bible talks about. When the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not referring to a head knowledge. It's talking about believing with your heart. Just believing in his existence. Just believing about him. Believing he did miracles. Just believing good things and right things even about Jesus will not save you. That's a start. But you've got to believe on Jesus. You've got to believe in Jesus. Believing he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Believing he was buried. Believing he rose again the third day. And you place your faith and your trust in him and him alone to be your Lord and Savior. Would you be willing to trust Jesus tonight? It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. Would you be willing to trust him tonight? There isn't a church on earth that can save you. Only Jesus can save you. So would you be willing to trust him? You say, yes, I would, preacher. Well, John, the Bible says in John 1.12, to those that received him, to them, he gave power to become children of God, even those that believe on his name. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you're willing to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I want to invite you right now to do what the Bible says, and that's call upon the Lord and ask him, invite him to come into your heart and life. He's, he's not going to come where he's not invited. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray out loud if you want, or you can just pray quietly in your heart, right there where you're seated in your pew. And listen, just repeating some words after me or after anybody else won't mean anything 
if you're not believing in your heart and trusting the Lord. But if you're trusting the Lord tonight, you say, I want to be saved, preacher. I want to know that my sins are forgiven and I'll go to heaven when I die. I want to know that I'm a Christian. I want to follow Christ. Well, if you're willing to trust him tonight, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Nothing magical about the prayer. But you can't get anything else out of Romans 10, 13 than calling up on the Lord. Says what it means, means what it says. So would you call up on him right now? The only way I know to do that is to pray. And you don't even have to pray the same words. But most people want someone to lead them. So just say something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost. And I need you. Lord Jesus, right now, best I know how, I repent. I turn from my sins and I turn to you. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And I confess you as Lord. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, into my life. Save my soul, forgive me of all my sins change my life. Thank you for saving me tonight. Thank you for loving me. Help me to live the rest of my life for you starting tonight and help me to never be ashamed of you. I pray in Jesus name. His heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Listen to me. If you prayed that prayer and sincerely meant it in your heart tonight, you made the greatest decision of your entire life. The most important decision you'll ever make. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.